Welcome, everyone, to episode 29 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and welcome back from our week off. I've made a decision for the podcast, a slight format change. I love doing Ohio stories, because that's where I'm from and where I live. But starting on or after episode 30, I'm going to start to include stories from all over the United States. Each episode will still have a story from Ohio in it, but I don't want to burn up all the Ohio stories too quickly. It's getting harder and harder to find stories with enough information in them to keep it 100% Ohio. I think that opening the podcast to more locations will also make for longer and more detailed episodes, and hopefully bring in a few people from all over the U.S. Now with all that out of the way, let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Our first story is one girl's living nightmare inside of a haunted house. When I was eight years old, my mom and dad purchased a home. They got a great deal on the house and we were all thrilled at its location and the town. I recall the first time that I entered the house and I said to my mom, it is so dark in here. My mother reassured me that with a little paint and new drapes, it would be bright and sunny. I think that the darkness I noticed wasn't just because of the dark walls and drapes. There was something much darker hidden in the seams of the house. This darkness didn't stay hidden for long. Before we moved our belongings into the home, my dad and one of his friends went to the house to refinish the hardwood floors. They were in for a challenging set of experiences. When they turned on the sander, the radio would blast. When they turned off the radio, the light would go on. Then the electricity would shut off. They checked fuses, but none of them were burned out. My dad called the power company. The man who came out said that there was nothing wrong with the connection from the power pole to the house. He told my dad that he needed to call an electrician. The electrician witnessed the same strange and inexplicable relation between unrelated switches and the response from remote locations throughout the house. The electrician told my dad that the entire house needed to be rewired. To their surprise, 
after this announcement, all of the electrical appliances and lights worked as expected. All returned to normal operation at that time. This stunt repeated many times over the years. We just had to wait it out because there was nothing wrong with the fuses, fuse box, the connection to the power pole. There was no technical explanation at all. I will say that being in a totally dark house due to the actions of invisible intruders was quite terrifying. We were at their mercy, and they had little to no mercy. Shortly after we moved into the house, we immediately noted that at times it sounded as if someone was walking across the floor, or there would be what sounded like knocking on various doors throughout the house. The back door would open and slam closed, which would be followed by what sounded like footsteps coming up the stairs. My parents would explain to me that these sounds were just the sounds of the house settling. Often, when I went to bed at night, I would hear heavy breathing right by my face. My parents told me that this is what the water heater sounded like at night when it was heating the water. I would hear my mother call, and when I answered, she would say that she did not call me, and vice versa. I often found long auburn hairs in my bedroom, and I couldn't figure this one out. I didn't know anyone with that color hair. My parents became acquainted with the next door neighbors. They commented to mom and dad that they hoped they lived there longer than the other people that had moved in. The house had always been sold, never rented, but it was rare for any family to live there for more than three months. The neighbors had lived next door for over 20 years. There were times when I woke up with someone holding on to my ankles and pulling me off the end of the bed. This terrified me. When I told my parents, they assured me that I was only having a nightmare. I woke up in the morning to find pieces clipped from my hair. This left short, jagged pieces that I couldn't style. My mom told me that this was from the pin curls that I used. One afternoon, I was in my bedroom and I could not shake the feeling that someone was staring at me. This gave me the creeps so I decided to go out to the living room. While doing this, I felt so uneasy. I stepped down onto the first step in front of the door and I reached around the corner to turn off the light. When I turned off the light, I saw a young woman sitting on the bed right next to where I had been sitting. She had long auburn hair. She was transparent. I didn't believe in ghosts and my parents had told me over and over again that there was no such thing. Now I was faced with the terrifying reality of a ghost sitting on my bed. I ran to the front bedroom, slammed and locked the door. Then it dawned on me that if she was a ghost, and what they say about ghosts was true, that she could just walk right through the wall, and I would be locked inside with her. I unlocked the door and ran to the living room in the front of the house. In the morning, I told my parents about my experience. They exchanged glances, and then they told me that they knew that the house was haunted. The ghost that I described to them is the one that they called Florence. It took them about three years to believe the house was haunted. They didn't believe it until they had exhausted themselves by sneaking through the house, trying to find the intruders making all the noise, and never finding anything. 
Then one night, when they had just gotten into bed, turned off the lights, and above the end of their bed were two floating heads staring at them. They both saw these apparitions and could not deny what they saw. This put them on a trek of using a Ouija board to try to communicate with the ghosts. Knowing what I do know now about the response to this board by earthbound spirits, I am certain that this practice only made things worse. There were many ghosts. I only saw two fully manifest apparitions, but my parents saw and experienced many more. I saw things, but only two specific ones. It was a common experience to see items such as books fly across the room. One time, my mother was taking a nap on the couch in the living room. The couch seemed to be shaking. This woke her up when she opened her eyes to discover that the couch was being transported by floating across the room with her on top of it. One could explain doors opening and closing by themselves being due to not being latched properly and a breeze caused it to open and close. This explanation cannot be applied to the sliding door between the second and third bedrooms. This sliding door often slammed open and closed. This was very unsettling. Quite a few times, my parents came into my room in the middle of the night to see why I was screaming, but I was not aware of screaming. As far as I knew, I was sound asleep. They would describe the screaming as if I had seen bloody heads rolling across the floor. There were many times that my parents acted out of character. They would be much harsher than one would expect. Shortly before my mom passed away, she told me that the change of life made her strange. I asked her what she meant, and she told me that one time she was chatting across a picket fence with our elderly neighbor. She said that it took all of her strength to force herself to go back into our house without attacking and strangling the neighbor. I told her mom that wasn't the change of life, it was the ghost. The ghost made them say and do things that were out of character. I could see it in their eyes and their mannerisms. That they say different was not themselves. I experienced times when I was attacked, pushed, and manhandled by the ghosts. I told my parents and they told me that I was letting my imagination run away with me. Their invalidation of my experiences made life very difficult for me, as there was nowhere to turn for help. Family and friends that visited were often treated to a ghost experience from simple footsteps and door knocking to having their blankets pulled off of them in the middle of the night by unseen hands. One time, my aunt was at our house for my birthday party. It was too late for her to drive all the way home, but she didn't want to sleep in the house. She slept out in our travel trailer with my teenage slumber party. One time, we were all watching television when a couple of ghost hunters were on a local talk show. They announced that if anyone thought that their house was haunted, that they would be glad to come out and get rid of the ghosts. I begged my parents to call them. They didn't want to because they didn't want anyone in the area to know that the house was haunted. They said that when they sold the house, that such information would 
prevent them from getting a good price. I was so hopeful and then crestfallen. When my parents retired and put the house on the market, the ghosts became especially active. We had occupied the house for 15 years, and I think the ghosts were pretty happy with the arrangement. My dad then told my mom that he wanted to move into the travel trailer so they didn't have to be concerned with constantly cleaning and preparing for the stream of realtors that would be coming through the house with potential buyers. Then one morning, my dad announced that he was lowering the price of the house by a considerable amount. We all tried to discourage him from doing so, since they were counting on the profit from the sale to buy a retirement property and perhaps build a new home. He wouldn't listen to our arguments. The house sold that day. Mom and I were sitting in the kitchen while Dad walked the new owners out to their car. Mom and I heard the back door open and slam closed. We heard footsteps coming up the back steps. We got up together and looked down the hall to the stairway. We could still hear the footsteps ascending the stairs, but there was no one to be seen. After they moved all of their things out of the house, handed over the keys, and had left the property for good, Dad confided why he insisted on moving into the trailer and lowering the price on the house. The night before they moved into the trailer, my dad was startled awake by a hand over his mouth and nose. He was being suffocated by the man ghost, who we had come to call Dave. Dad was a strong guy, but he said that it took all the strength that he had to wrestle away from the grip of the ghost. My dad turned to me and apologized for not believing me this whole time. The people that bought the house decided to rent it out. We heard that the first renter in the house was a minister. I was elated, thinking that a minister might be able to pray the ghosts out of the house. The minister moved out almost as soon as he had moved in. After a series of short-term renters, the house was replaced by an apartment building. The neighbors told my parents that the house had been moved. Now, I don't know if the house was moved, and if it was, I wondered if the ghosts would go with the house or haunt the apartment building built on the site. But I do know that I never want to go back and find out for myself. While this whole story is scary by itself, I think the act of playing with the Ouija board just might have made things worse. I'm sure that there are people out there that have played with them with no response or no negative reaction at all, but that's a chance that I'm just not willing to take myself. Now my next two stories come from the same author. One is about his experience inside of his neighbor's haunted house. And the last is his visit to the infamous Crybaby Bridge. The first of these two stories does have some slightly disturbing content, but it's very brief at the very beginning. So as always, listener discretion is advised. I have many paranormal experiences that I could tell, but the one that stands out the most for me happened a long time ago when I was still just a child. I grew up next to a home that had a very violent past. 
the first owners were killed by an escaped convict, and their youngest son was beheaded and his head was never found. Supposedly, it was tossed into a gravel pit that was nearby at the time. The next couple to purchase the home split up and the wife, along with her months old baby, jumped from the upstairs window and fell to their deaths. Well, you get the picture. Due to a snowstorm that had fallen on our town, my mother and father not being able to get home to me and my brother, we had the misfortune of having to stay with our neighbors for the night. Needless to say, my brother and I were scared to begin with because we all knew of the happenings inside of this house. At first, nothing seemed out of the ordinary, but as the night wore on, strange things began to happen. The first thing to take place was while we were all sitting in the living room watching TV. We could hear someone in the kitchen doing the dishes. There was no one else in the house, and there were no dishes in the sink to be done. So we all went back into the living room. Then we heard glass breaking in the bathroom. This caused everyone to jump and run to see what had broken and how. There was no broken glass anywhere, and everything seemed okay. Things settled down for a while. I thought that if this is the worst that was going to happen, then I was going to be okay. Boy was I wrong. I was laying on my neighbor's couch, just about to fall asleep, when a rocking chair began rocking all by itself, and I heard the faint sound of a baby crying. As if this wasn't scary enough, I soon heard footsteps coming down the stairs and the little boy's voice calling, Mommy? Scared as I was, I went to the stairs to see if someone was just playing around with me. I knew that it wasn't my brother, because he was already asleep. There was no one there. I ran, and I put my head under the covers, and I did not come out until morning. I spoke with my neighbors, and I asked them how they could stay in a house like that, and they said that they were just used to it, and they didn't pay that much attention to it anymore. I'm 37 years old. If I was asleep on somebody's couch, and a rocking chair started moving, or I heard somebody coming down the stairs, and a little boy saying, Mommy or hearing a baby crying in the house when there's no baby inside the house. I don't think I would be in that house anymore. That that would scare me to death. It's how he managed to do it and stay the whole night is beyond me. I I would definitely be out of there. This final story is the same author's experience at the Crybaby Bridge. This is for those who often wonder if some of the things experienced can ever be explained away. Almost everyone has heard the tale of the Crybaby Bridge. Hell, almost every state and some cities has one. Well, here's the story of the one that happened in my hometown. Locations will not be given other than this happened in Ohio to preserve the privacy of the people who lived around the area. It is said that a young unmarried lady had given birth to her lover's child 
and when she presented the child to him, he turned them both away, wanting nothing more to do with the mother or child. The young lady, being distraught, was not able to turn to her family for help. It was a time when it was considered shameful to have a baby outside of wedlock. So she decided to jump from a bridge with her baby. They supposedly drowned and were never seen again. They say that if you were on the bridge on moonless nights, you can hear the baby crying and see the mother as a white light walking up the shoreline of the river searching for her baby. I decided to investigate this story and see or hear for myself if this was a true haunting or if it was just another urban legend. A friend and myself arrived at the bridge at around 11 p.m. and we went and sat and listened to the wind and the river. At first, nothing happened. And then we heard what did sound like a baby crying. We also saw what appeared to be a white light moving up the shoreline and then disappearing at almost the same time as the baby stopped crying. We did a little further investigation and we found the causes for both the light and the crying. The crying was the sound of peacocks from a nearby residence and the light was the reflection of the headlights off of a piece of metal near the riverbank from the cars on a nearby road. It would seem that the lights from the approaching cars would disturb the peacocks, causing them to cry out, which, while on the bridge, would almost sound like a baby crying. Once the car passed, the peacocks would be quiet and the white light would disappear. That last story wasn't very scary. That's just one person's experience at some of the many crybaby bridges that are scattered all over Ohio and the United States. I've not gone to one myself, but I would like to go and see it for myself. Have any of you ever gone and witnessed something? I would love to hear about it and share it in a future episode. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for listening, and if you could, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really does help others find this podcast. Don't forget to share with your friends and family as well. Make sure that you join us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. If you do enjoy the stories, please consider joining the Ohio Unsolved Patreon, where you'll get instant access to monthly bonus episodes starting from the $5 tier and up. Once again, thank you all for listening. And make sure to keep your doors and windows locked and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.